We are going on a journey together over the next four weeks. We are diving into a series on the book of Colossians. Not Colossians, Colossians. And it's a great book that we're going to dive into. So why don't we pray and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is available for every part of teaching us who you are. And we just pray that you would show us over this next four weeks more of who you are. And that's why we came together today is to learn about who you are. And we pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. I kind of finished that prayer like I was saying grace. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. I'm getting distracted already. But let's talk a little bit about the background to this book. And for anybody who's interested, I posted up on Facebook in our Harvest Church group this morning that if anybody wants to join me, I'm going to be reading through all four chapters of Colossians every day for the next four weeks. It's not that much. It's only four chapters and it takes about 15 minutes to read through or you can listen to it. We'll put some links up in there on, on links to um, places where you can listen to it. However you want to do that, whatever version you want to read, maybe read multiple different versions so you get a bit of a, a different perspective. But let's do that together. It's actually not a great, a huge burden on your time. And if you're driving in the car anywhere, you can put it on. If you're on a tractor, you can put it on. If you're going for a walk, you can listen to it. However you want to do it, but let's dive into that together. So Paul here is writing to the believers who are in Colossae. Colossae. It's a little bit east of Ephesus, if you know where that is. It's just a bit north of where we are right now. Um, but this epistle is most likely written by Paul around about that year AD 60, 62, and most likely written while he was in prison. If you've ever written something to a letter to somebody from prison, you probably weren't thinking like Paul. Paul wrote the Bible while he was in prison. He wrote the epistles. He wrote letters to encourage and build people up in their faith. While he was in prison, while he was in chains, while he was facing suffering and bondage, he had the nerve and the temerity to actually think about how can I encourage an input into others during this time? I probably would have been thinking about me. You probably would have been thinking about you too, just to be honest. But it's not known where Paul ever went to Colossae. It's assumed that he didn't. You know, he, may have, he may have been there through one time on his, one of his journeys, but it's largely assumed that Paul never went to Colossae. And it said we've had this faithful servant, Epaphras, who received the gospel and carried it with him from Ephesus to Colossae. This is where the church started, through the ministry of Epaphras. It's an example of church planting that Paul wasn't directly involved in. and doesn't say that he sent Epaphras. Epaphras received the gospel and he started the church there. But Epaphras also had a hand in launching Laodicea and continuing to be a faithful minister of Christ in Colossae. You've got to remember, this is a prison letter. Paul's writing this in chains to Colossae. So let's read. We're going to read through, during our sermons, over the next four weeks, we're going to read through every verse of Colossians, some more than once. So let's read. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray... For you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven 
and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. How good would it be to have that knowledge that people heard about us and haven't stopped praying for us? Hey, can I give you a, a piece of, well, a request? Please pray every day for Rachel and myself and our pastors, our elders and our leaders. We need it now more than ever. There's big and tough decisions that are coming over the next couple of weeks. So please be praying for us. We, we do need it and we appreciate messages and, of support. We've have received quite a few over the last couple of weeks about the changes that are coming and, and how we're going to tackle that. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. I wish I had patience. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We're going to come back to that verse. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you ever want to read a theological passage of scripture, that is it right there from 15 to 20. We'll come back and we'll circle back to that one. But verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that I have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Before we get into the individual themes that we want to bring out of this passage, we need to look at a couple of things. Paul is writing this letter. He's recognised throughout the Christian world at that time as an apostle. But he was also locally, he's confused. Well, not he was confused. He was actually pretty clear. But people were confused about him because he was the guy that used to go and stone all of the Christians. So all of a sudden you have this guy, Paul, who 
they would have been afraid of and now they're leaning into for support and they're like torn between going, hang on, do we trust this guy or do we not trust this guy? I don't know about you, that's the way I kind of read this. The Christians had to be convinced of his credentials and his credibility. Paul, he had an incredible roadside conversion which we can read about in the book of Acts chapter 9. You know, He's going along the road and he's on his way somewhere to actually persecute Christians, believers in Jesus. Because they're not following the right way, they're following Jesus' way. And he's going to persecute them and then light blinds him, he falls off his horse or donkey and he's in the road there and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He gets blinded, he goes to Ananias' house and he is then discipled in the right way. So he goes through this miraculous transformation and he is converted from Judaism to Christianity because of his encounter with Jesus directly. So he has this encounter with Jesus, this one-on-one encounter with Jesus. And as he travels and ministers, many people now experience the truth that Epaphras, Epaphras was a little bit different. So he was not a convert from Judaism. He wasn't brought up with the Torah being read to have to memorize it. He wasn't brought up in, in the same kind of society that Paul was. He wasn't part of the Pharisees or Sadducees. He, he was a convert from paganism from idol worship. He was from probably the temple of Diana or something like that. He was a part of that whole community where that was the main religion that they had was paganism. It was had nothing to do with God or Jesus. It was everything against that. He didn't have the same scriptural background or training that Paul had, but yet he finds himself planting a church. You ever sort of felt a little bit out of your depth? Yes. Maybe I have. I've felt myself a little bit out of my depth. But Epaphras, he doesn't have all of the background. So a lot of the converts from Judaism to Christianity, they had this background, this depth. They understood the law. They, They would read through it. They were trained in it so they could get the context of what, who God was. But Epaphras had to learn it from scratch. And he still planted churches. He had a passion. But now the church itself finds in Colossae has some problems. Uh, Warren Wisby writes this. He says that Paul at that time was a prisoner in Rome and he met a runaway slave named Onesimus who belonged to Philemon. If you're following this, I'm not. But one of the leaders in the church in Colossae. Paul led Onesimus to Christ and he wrote his letter to Philemon asking his friend to forgive Onesimus, to forgive him, to receive him back as a brother in Christ. At the same time, Epaphras shows up in Rome because he needed Paul's help. Some new doctrines are being taught in Colossae that were invading the church and creating problems. So Paul wrote this letter to Colossians in order to refute these heretical teachings and establish the truth of the gospel. So there's a heresy that's coming into the flock. Now, Paul writes this letter in such a way, so I'm just giving you a bit of a background context. Paul writes this letter in such a way that it's lovely and warm and it's got this big sort of warm hug about it. There's nothing nasty. It's not like Galatians where he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And gives them a, a slap like this. Now Colossians is kind of like, here's all of the theology, the doctrine that's going to help you to get into the right way and I'm going to wrap that in love and kindness and warmness and grace and I'm going to pass that on to you. So this is what's happening here. So Paul pens this letter to be read to the church, which contains correction and doctrine. It's a response to some strange teachings that's happening within the congregation. It's responding to a mixture of Judaistic legalism paired with Gnosticism and mysticism. 
Some people are going to Google that afterwards. What is Gnosticism, mysticism? It's also thrown together with a fair dose of angel worship and a search for fullness in completion on top of Christ. All right? So you're getting the kind of picture here. Gnosticism denied the deity of Christ or it denied that he was human. So we believe that he was wholly human and wholly divine. The Gnostics, they kind of believed that they had a, a higher knowledge, that once you, you, you received Jesus or you had this religion, that there was a, a higher path that you could, you could attain if you strived hard enough for it. Then you've got religious asceticism, that God will like me more if I deny myself or if I beat myself, if I treat myself harshly to appear more holy, then God is going to like me more and he's going to accept me. And there are still traits of that around today. Essentially what's being taught in Colossae was that Christ was not enough. It was Jesus plus. Jesus plus Judaism. Jesus plus Gnosticism and mysticism. It was a hybrid belief system. So Warren Wiersbe continues on. He says that, do we have any of this heresy today? Yes, we do. And it is deceptive and dangerous. When we make Jesus Christ and the Christian revelation only a part of a total religious system or philosophy, we cease to give him the preeminence. When we strive for spiritual perfection or spiritual fullness by means of formulas, disciplines or rituals, we go backward instead of forward. Christian believers must be aware of mixing their Christian faith with such alluring things as yoga, transcendental meditation, oriental mysticism and the like. We must be aware of deeper life teachers who offer a system for victory and fullness that bypasses devotion to Jesus Christ. In all things, he must have the preeminence. This leads me to the title for our whole series, which is Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. Let me say it one more time. Jesus over everything. We've been singing about Jesus this morning, speaking the powerful name of Jesus. And that's where we need to get to. We need to understand that it is Jesus over everything. He is the start and the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So we're going to focus on a few central themes of Colossians. Today's message, this sermon, this part of it, we're going to call it Christ Lord over all. So if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, write it down anyway. Today we're going to set the groundwork for the rest of this series. You know, this in my mind is the one big thought that encompasses everything else that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Christ Lord of all. All right. So if you're listening while I was reading the scripture, Christ Lord of all is probably the, the biggest thing. Leonardo da Vinci painted this amazing picture that Chloe referred to in um, her communion thought this morning, uh, the, the Last Supper, where Jesus, you see Jesus pictured in the center with his arms stretched out like this kind of, one hand is actually kind of inviting. There's a story behind that, apparently, according to the interwebs, if you can believe everything that you read. But apparently, da Vinci originally painted that picture and Jesus was holding a goblet of wine that he was going to use for the communion or the, the Last Supper to break bread together. And he had painted this ornate, it was beautiful, everything about it was fantastic. And he asked a peer to come in and look at his work. And the peer said, looked at it for a while and passing against, oh, the, the goblet that you've painted in Jesus' hand is, is particularly beautiful. So da Vinci went back and went, I have to remove that. And he repainted 
that portion of the, the canvas and repainted Jesus' hand reaching out because he says, I don't want anything to detract from Jesus. The central theme of this is Jesus. He shouldn't be detracted from. Now, if you look at it again, the hand looks like it's inviting. It's bringing because that's who Jesus was. Now, you can look up the internet and see if that's true. Wikipedia, Google, something. But I did read that this week as I was looking into the book of Colossians. You know, nothing can detract from Jesus. And the thing that Paul does right from the outset is to correct any notion that it is Jesus plus anything. He solidifies the deity of Christ as God. And that's a central theme to the whole book of Colossians. We're going to talk about this in a few different parts because I think that this passage is broken down into sections. And the first one I want to think about is Lord over creation. He is the Lord over creation. And Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things are created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether things, uh, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. We have this word, image. He is the image of the invisible God. This word here in the Greek is the word icon, E-I-K-O-N. That's not how you spell it in the Greek, but in the English it's how we Translate it, icon. And an icon is the representation of something. You know, some religions worship by looking at icons, a little statue or a little um, a painting or a picture, and that's how they worship. They look at icons. But here in the Greek, it, it's kind of talking about icon as being a copy or an exact representation of God. So the sun is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of the invisible God. The picture painted here is that Paul, by Paul is that Jesus is the icon of God, an exact representation. That's evidence. If you look at John chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, it says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So God is invisible, but Jesus is the visible image of God. He, let's have a look at that next word in there. She says, he is the firstborn of all creation. You're going, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus was created? No, no. Let's go back and have a look at what it means. So this word mean, firstborn means in Greek... Firstborn, just firstborn, right? But it also means highest in rank and influence. The highest in rank and influence. John Piper says that verse 16 clearly teaches that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, not in the sense that he is a part of creation, but in the sense that he is over all creation, right? So you're getting the difference? Firstborn doesn't mean that he was born first. No, it means that he is above all that was born and created. So John 1.3, Through him all things were made. With him nothing was made that has been made. You know, that's an amazing thought. Nothing was made that has been made without through Jesus. 
And Jesus was the only person who ever lived before he was born. Whoa. Is anybody out there, drop it in the chat if you are going, hang on, my head is just on a bit of a spin here. We're going to get down to it and we'll, we'll bring it all back to this. But John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word's referring to Jesus. So when we put this together, we have this picture of Jesus being the full representation of God, in fact, God, and placed higher than all creation. Paul continues to put this in perspective when we didn't understand it from verse 15. Verses 16 and 17 are kind of like that little bit of an extra explanation. You know, if you're a school teacher and you've been teaching a class and you're like, hey, did everybody get that? And they're all like, no, nah, didn't get it. So well, you go, let me put it this way. So Paul's doing a, a let me put it this way and he uses a classic reporting tactic, right? He, it's like Paul is gone, I've gone to media school, I'm going to use my, put my reporter hat on and I'm going to do a classic who, what, where, when and why into this situation and they use it, this is utilised to explain the real meaning. All things were created in him. Where? In heaven and on earth. What? Things visible and invisible. Who? Everyone. Thrones, dominions, principalities and powers. Why? All things created through him for him, for his glory and his pleasure. When? He is before all things. He is the first rate revelation of the invisible God. You see what Paul is doing here is that, and this could be the message in itself, Paul is attacking any notion that you need Jesus plus anything. He places Jesus in his rightful place, before all else, above all else, in all else, and everything exists because he does. If I had a mic, I would drop it and I would just walk off. But I won't. But that is it. This is the crux message of the whole of the book of Colossians, and we're getting to it in week one, right here. Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. So let's dive into... Colossians 1.18, he is the Lord over the church. He is the Lord over the church. And it says there in verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He might have the supremacy. Continuing on from that central theme of Jesus being Lord over the whole of creation is this one inserted moment here where he is also head of the church. You know, the church is subject to him. He is our head. We, we were created by him, through him, and for him. We have a purpose here on earth, and that is to glorify God and to make him known amongst men. We, that's our purpose as the church. The church doesn't just exist as a little social club where we can get together well, when we're allowed to get together on a Sunday and sing some songs and then have a cup of coffee and go back into our week. No, the church is so much bigger than that, but Christ is its head. He is over all. It's not Rachel and myself. It's not our board and elders. It's, it's, it's not our ACC wider um, you know, presidents and the state structures. It's not that. It's Jesus is the head of the church. And he is where we get the authority to act on his behalf. He is the beginning and also the highest from among the dead. This is referring to the death and resurrection of Jesus so that in everything, 
he might have the supremacy ranking above all others. I was actually going to call this message Christ Supreme, but it sounded like a pizza. (laughs) And if you're feeling hungry right now, I apologise, we won't keep you much longer. But he has this supremacy. He is over everything. And if we think that everything doesn't include the church and we can kind of go, well, let's bring this doctrine in and let's bring that doctrine in and, and let's add on this and let's, if we just do these things, then we were going to get to... No, once we have Jesus, he is everything. So not only is Christ Lord of everything, but he is also Lord over the church. Just in case there's any consideration that this theology or doctrine could be excluded or replaced by aestheticism, Gee, let's talk about that for a second. Have you ever felt like God doesn't like me? Got real quiet in here, for those of you who are playing at home. It got real quiet. I know that I've kind of felt like God doesn't like me because maybe I don't do enough of the right things or enough good things or God's looking at me and he looks down on me. Um, That maybe if I just fasted harder or maybe if I prayed more or maybe if I and in certain religious circles this happens if I beat myself uh, or maybe if I and, and that might not even be physical you know we are our harshest critics and we beat ourselves up all of the time so that's a part of the theology that was happening and being taught and the doctrine that was seeping into the, Col- the church in Colossae was this thought that if I just treat myself harsh, God will like me more. No, God loves you for who you are. Yes, there's a pathway in which we have to start to go along the, the, the pathway of sanctification and, and, and start to become more like Jesus, but God doesn't like you any more there or there, right? He doesn't, like, he, he doesn't love you anymore the more holy you become. He doesn't like you anymore or love you anymore the more you deny yourself. Some people are processing this. You know, the, the Bible does say to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. And yes, we do that. But does that mean that Jesus loves me more once I do that? Or does he love me just the way I am? It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. And if the worship team will come, it says that he is also the Lord who reconciles us. He's the Lord who reconciles us. And this is perhaps the most important segment in all this, in this message, that having established Christ's position, authority and supremacy, Paul outlines his sacrifice. Colossians 1, 19 to 23 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Once you were alienated from God and you were his enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Let's pick out that verse for a second. One time you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. You were thinking that God could never love me because of the way that I've acted. God could never accept me because of what I've done. 
If I walk into a church building, that ceiling is going to collapse on me. You know, I've done way too many things wrong in my life for God to ever approve of me. You see what Paul's saying here? You were enemies of God in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move out from the hope held in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and with which I, Paul, have become a servant. Very simply, it's this. He is the one who brings us back from death to life, from separation to joined with Christ, from alienated to reconciled. You see, this is the very thing that Paul is combating. He lumps all of us together under the banner of our sinful nature and our evil behavior. But now that Christ has come and died, this reconciles us to Him. So let's bring this back to the Judaistic culture that was a part of what was being taught in part of the Colossian heresy. We have, back in the Mosaic law, the atonement sacrifice that if you had sinned, the only thing that could get you right again with God was the sacrifice, the blood of a lamb that was spilt and shed to cover your sin. That was the atonement sacrifice. That's how the Israelites, every week, they would come and they would bring a lamb, spotless, blameless, before God to atone for their sins. But Jesus, Jesus replaced that atonement sacrifice. He is the atonement sacrifice. He is the perfect unblemished lamb that was spilt his blood was spilt on the cross for us so Paul is putting this in language that they can understand and they get this picture that Jesus once and for all was the sacrifice for our sins a body broken on a cross his blood was shed so that we now can be reconciled to God this permanent action it replaces the temporary sacrifice from the Jewish culture of bringing an animal what was temporary has now become permanent. And this is now clear and complete in this passage. And we are now free from accusation, as it says in Romans 8, verses 1. There, now, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've got to continue now to be firm, hold on to the gospel. Do not leave the faith. Hold on to hope. You know, buying and selling real estate can be tricky. If you ever bought a house or sold a house, there's three really important things that you need to know about real estate. Location, location, location. They're the three keys to real estate and buying and selling. And the same is true of living for Jesus. So knowing our location spiritually is critical if we are to succeed in navigating through the greatly devalued territory of our world. Paul reminds us that we have a new location in Christ, having been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son from Colossians 1.13. Knowing that we have been relocated by His amazing grace into the kingdom of Jesus makes a difference. Jesus now reigns as King in our hearts and minds 
and we are his grateful subjects. His will is our will and his ways become patterns for all of life and behavior. And when we are forced to make a choice, our allegiance is to him. So when temptation and seduction and all of these things come and try and grab us and take us and say, you don't need that anymore, you need to come this way, you just got to remember what your new postcode is. Colossians 1.13, you are now in the kingdom of his son. Come on, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. We thank you that we are in him, that he is through, he is above us, in us. He is before all things, and in him all things were created for his glory. And we just pray right now for every single person who's listening and watching to listen to this message and gone, it's Jesus is what I need. It's Jesus is what I need. Amen. I want to just take just a moment just to speak to every single person who's watching whether you're in the room or at home or up at Neil we just pray that you've been blessed by this message but we want to open an invitation to you right now to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and to move location of your postcode into the kingdom of his son so I'm going to say a simple prayer I just want you to pray it with me and if you do that we want you to let us know Send us an email. There's a few different ways that are going to come up on the screen in just a moment. You can send us a direct message on social media. You can send, connect, come to our website, harvestchurch.org.au slash Jesus is more information. But why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you today to come into my heart and give me a brand new start. I'm sorry for all of my mistakes. But today, Jesus, I lay them at your feet, at the foot of the cross, where you died and became the sacrifice that paid the debt for all of my sins. I thank you, Jesus, that I am now located in the kingdom that you created, your kingdom, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe it was for the very first time, we would love to give you a Bible, which is just over here. Thank you, Jono. We want to give this to you. Actually, I would love to meet you personally, to pray with you, help you take next steps on your journey. So please reach out to us. Head to our website, send us an email, carry a pigeon in, call us, whatever. However you want to do that. But I recommend that you do because we weren't created to do this life alone. We were meant to be in community together. And that's not a political statement. That's what the Bible says. We were meant to do this journey together. We are a community. And we would love to help you in that. But hey, we're going to sing one more song. I think that it'd be fitting for us to sing that. I, would be where, I want to be where you are. I want to be located where you are. I want to be in your presence. And if you were at home watching the worship this morning, let me tell you, the presence of God was real in the room just as it is through the screens and we're praying that you would have an amazing week. Come on, why don't you stand? I'm going to pray a blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and bring you peace.
God bless you, church. We love you.